invite you to turn your Bible to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And what we're doing is we're looking at a letter, a letter that was written by Paul. He's in prison and probably in Rome. And he's writing to people some 1,300 miles away. And he's telling them, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to know and understand how to live out your faith in the midst of a world that's radically changing all around you. Not only that, there is people starting to creep into the church. They're starting to creep in and bring this different kind of teaching, this this different kind of relating to God, that that Jesus is good. Yeah, it's good that you embrace Jesus, but but there's also some other things that you can be doing here. Maybe there's a festival that you can go to, or you can embrace this, or you can eat this way, or you can separate yourself. It's Jesus and all of these other things. And what we're trying to do in Colossians is we're trying to challenge our hearts. But what is the desire, ultimately, of our heart? Is it putting our faith and trust in Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us? And is it also this idea that I'm going to live for him, and when the difficulties and the challenges of life come in, I'm going to embrace him, and I'm going to seek and follow his face. I want to have this heart for God. That's what the Bible says. The Bible challenges us in the emotions, in the deep parts of our heart, our passions, our desires, to not be heartless, but to be passion-filled people, but put that passion in the right place. Psalm chapter 42, verse 1 and 2 says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. Where, when can I go and, and meet with God? What, what a great question for us to ask of ourselves. Is my heart's desire to do and be what he wants me to do is his desire for us to gather on a Sunday morning, gather with God's people, to resonate well with God's people, and to challenge each other and our hearts to look to who he is and what he would have for us. And so what I want to do this morning from the, the book of Colossians is this. I, I want to challenge us to, to live heart first. I, I think a lot of times we, we look at the heart, we look at our passions, we look at our desires, and, and we, we want to live out our heart. We want to have uh, this passion. We want to be passionate people, don't we? Of course we do. And the Bible says, listen, I want you to have heart. I want you to have passion. I want you to have those desires, but I want you to direct them in the right way. I want you to direct them in a way that would honor and glorify God. And there's a reason for that, because the way that God has created us. Nobody knows me better than who God is and how my heart is shaped. And I want to have a bent toward looking toward him and pleasing him and honoring him. So what I want to do is I just want to draw some principles from Colossians chapter 4 about how we can live heart first. Text that Gary read. So let me begin. Verse 1. Remember that your heart has been changed. That's what Paul does. He, he reminds us that, that something's happened in our lives. We've been radically changed on the inside. Verse 1 says that since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's, he's talking about our identity. Who do we identify with? And what Paul is doing, he's pointing out here, and he's pointing out to the people that, listen, something happened. You went through a transformation. There was a, there was a point in your life, there's a place in your life where you broke away from all of that other stuff and you embraced Jesus and you turned your life around. A new reality, a new identity on the inside. Chapter 2, verse 20 says this. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it do you submit to its rules and regulations? He's reminding people of their identity. He said, listen, you died with Christ. You are now with Christ. You are hidden with Christ. Don't go back to those rules. Don't go back to those regulations. Don't go back to all of those former things. And that's what was slowly happening. Here, Paul is writing to godly people. 
He's running to good people. They've embraced Jesus. But some kind of teaching, some kind of people were coming in and maybe just kind of sneaking in the back door, sneaking in the side door and saying, you know what, yeah, that Jesus is good, but, but what about going to this festival with me? Or what about embracing this? Maybe we don't need to eat this or maybe we need to embrace this or don't touch this. All of these other things were being added to the relationship. with All of them many times external in nature. They were separating themselves from who Christ is on the inside of them, embracing all of these outward kinds of things that they were doing. And the essence of our faith is not what we do. It's not about going to church. It's not about my baptism. It's not about the things that I do. It's about embracing Jesus as my Lord and Savior, trusting him that I've been forgiven of my sin, and now I'm going to move on and live for him and honor him and glorify him, and my passions and my desires are going to be for him. See, the people to whom Paul were writing back then They had this idea of separation. I can separate my life. It's easy for me to do. Warren Wiersbe, who's a pastor and um, he's an author, wrote a lot of great books for Moody. Uh, He said something really interesting about the way that people thought back then, and I think it parallels the way that people think nowadays. This is what he said. So we must keep in mind that the pagan religion of Paul's days said little or nothing about personal morality, holiness. A worshiper could bow before an idol, put in his offering on the altar, go back to live the same old life of sin. What a person believed had no direct relationship with how he behaved, and no one would condemn a person for doing this kind of behavior. Don't you see that today? Don't we have a tendency to separate our life? Well, this is my life on Sunday, and this is my life on Wednesday, and and, and this is my life at at church, and this is my life at my job, and and this is my life and my hobby, and this is my life and my relationship. We we kind of separate our lives to live out in in compartments. And, And what Paul is saying, listen, you died to all of that external stuff. What's happening is something happened on the inside. You've gone through this wonderful, absolutely beautiful transformation, and you are no longer the same person. That's why he says, listen, I want you to go back and remember that you have been You died with Christ, but you've also been raised with him. You're positionally with Jesus in the heavenlies. Why would Paul do this? Why would he remind them that they've gone through this transformation? Why would he remind them that something beautiful has happened on the inside? Because God, in the book of Ezekiel, God in the Old Testament promised that a day would come when I would change your heart. That's what we all need. We need to go through a radical transformation of heart. And in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet says, listen, one day God is going to do something beautiful. He's going to do something absolutely incredible. He's going to change this this heart of stone, and he's going to make it absolutely new. And I'm going to radically change you on the inside. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27. It it, it talks about this new covenant that God is going to make with his people. And notice what he writes. I will give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'll remove that heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow the decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is the promise of the new covenant that God's going to come. And what is he going to do? Can they radically change the human heart? I mean, we, look at our society. Look at what's going on. Let's make this rule. Let's make this regulation. Let's change this. Let's defund this. Let's do all of these external. We're not talking about the human heart. We're not talking about internal change. We're not talking about our passions. We're talking about trying to correct people's behavior by the things that we do. And God says, listen, I want to give you a heart and a passion for the right things. Me. I am the ultimate in life. 
And if you go trust me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my very Holy Spirit inside of you. In the book of Colossians, it's already been called what? Christ in you, what? The hope of glory. Christ lives inside of me to change me, to transform me on the inside because that's what needs to happen. Recall Jesus' words when he walked upon this earth. He said this, lust is conceived where? In the human heart. What about our words? Our words reveal actually what's going on inside of our heart. Our treasure, our our, uh, treasure is, our our heart is determined by what we put our focus in. Now, where's our treasure at? Is it it here or is it someplace else? We harbor hatred and bitterness where we, we hide it inside of our heart. And Paul and both Jesus said, our hearts are stubborn to the spiritual realities of life. That's why God has to change us on the inside. Solomon. Remember Solomon? One of the wisest men in all of the earth. You know what he said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23? He says this. Above everything else, guard your heart, for it is the very wellspring of life. Let me ask you something. How are you doing with your heart? How are you doing with your, your passions, your desires, your, the things going on on the inside? Are, are, you, are you aware of this radical change that you've gone through? Or do you keep going back, like the people at Colossae, do you keep going back to some of those things, those old habits, those, those things that are in our life that kind of trap us? And what Paul is saying, listen, something absolutely beautiful and powerful has happened in your life. Christ is living inside of you, and you have a new identity. There's a, a couple, uh, uh, I, I read this in a, a book um, a couple of years ago. The name of the book was was why Jesus, and the author is telling a story in this book, and he's, he's talking about a, a man and a wife, a husband and wife, and what they do is they, they form this orphanage, and they went to another country, and they form this orphanage, and then what they would do is they would, they would bring people in, and they would allow them to be adopted. Well, the orphanage that they had was for people, for children who had been basically deformed from birth. You know, so what, what the parents do, they just abandon their, their children to this orphanage. And that's what they would do. And, and there was one little boy that had a, a really bad uh, brain malfunction. And all of the other kids were being adopted. They would come and adopt him. But, but no one would adopt him. And he began to think and wonder, why, why? He's nine years old. Why did anybody want me? You know, what's wrong with me? Finally, there's another couple that came through. And they'd adopted one. And they began to inquire about this particular boy, nine-year-old boy. And they inquired and said, is he still there? Yes, he's still there. Well, you know what we want to do is we, we want to adopt him. So they worked out the finances. They worked out all of the, the legal stuff with this, with this organization. And as, as they were waiting for this little boy to be adopted, they were going through all of the paperwork. They decided, listen, what we need is we, we need to change the boy's name. He's got a really hard name that people in the States are probably not going to embrace. But we need, we need to change his name. So they changed his name. And, and they sent it to the boy. And they said, your name is going to be AJ, Anson Josiah. So what he did was Anton Josiah walked around telling people, you can call me AJ. You can call me AJ because I have a, a new identity and I'm going to be leaving here and I'm going to be going to the States and I'm going to be reunited to one of my brothers. And this is the point that the author makes. He says this. Is it not interesting that even with the debilitation of disconnected thoughts, he is able to pick up on the redeeming thrill of relationship and his profound worth as evidence in a new name. Did you get that? He began to think of himself in an entirely different way because of his adoption and because he'd been given a new name. Guess what? 
You have been adopted by the king. You've been given a new name. We are radically different. And what we need to do is we need to remember and embrace who Jesus is and what he has done for us. He has put his stamp of approval upon you. The spirit of God lives inside of you. And you are absolutely radically different. You are a new creation in Christ. And he wants you to live out your passions for him. Are you open to spiritual realities? Are you remembering who you are and the beauty of your relationship? We were singing one of the songs, and it, had, it talks about victory. One of the first songs, I, I'm going to get the words wrong, but Connor can tell you what it is. It's something about victory, but there's three words that said, he is here. Jesus is here. You realize that this morning? Can't see him. Can't feel him. Can't touch him. You realize he's here? Realize he lives inside of you? That's the implications of our faith. And I don't separate my life. No, Jesus isn't here today and not here tonight. He's with me, with my family, with my job, all of my pursuits. Jesus is with me, and that's my new identity in Jesus. So Paul says, listen, remember your identity. Second thing is this. What are you pursuing in life? Don't we all pursue things? I pursue things. I've got a lot of things that I'm pursuing right now. A lot of them I don't do very well. Um, but I am pursuing things. I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to do different things. We all pursue things. Look at verse 1 again. Notice what Paul says. Pursue the right things. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above. That, that, that's look up. I got two bracelets here. Look up, Clint, look up. Look up. Look to Jesus. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Guess what? Now, now that you're a new creation, guess what you are? You're a spiritual seeker. You and I, we seek after spiritual things. That we, we seek after the things of God. What's interesting is when you, when you like, look at this verse in, the, in the, the Greek New Testament, it says this, the things above keep seeking. There's no heart in there. The things above keep thinking. Well, by natural inclination, our hearts are drawn to certain things. Selena Gomez, didn't she write a song in 2014, The Heart Wants What the Heart Wants? And didn't Emily Dickinson say something to that, the heart wants what the heart wants? And didn't Blaise Pascal say something, the heart wants what the heart wants? Isn't there this deep-seated desire inside of us to want certain things in life? And what Paul is simply saying is, listen, are you setting your sights on the things above? Continually seeking the things above. Pursue continually seeking the things above. Let me just show you how Paul wants to get us out of this realm of the earthly in the here and now to put our sights on the things above. Notice what he says. Twice in uh, verses 1 and 2, he's, he's talking about the things above. In, in chapter 1, he talks, or chapter 3, verse 1, he talks about we've been raised with him. In verse uh, 3, verse 1, he talks about Jesus at the right hand of God. Our, our life is hidden with God in Christ. It's almost as if in these two, three, four verses, Paul is saying, listen, your thoughts, your intentions, your heart needs to be seen as looking above. Because you're a radically different kind of person now. And it's a reminder to me, it's a reminder to all of us that, that God has created us to love him, to worship, to honor him but he's also changed us on the inside. Jesus said this in John chapter 17 about our framework in life. The disciples, you and I, all of us in Christ, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. In other words, we are entirely different because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Set your mind on the things above. Set your heart on the things above. So what does that mean? I just kind of sit there and go, hmm, I wonder what that means. I think in contrast, Paul is going to 
articulate what that might look like. He does it in a negative way, but he says, listen, here's some things for you to consider. Not doing, if you will. Look at verses 5 through 10. Notice what Paul does. He says, let me offer you a contrast. Seeking the things above, your mind's on the thing above, the heart's on the things above. Now, let me show you what earthly things might look like. Okay? Verse 5 says this. Put to death. In other words, there's still this susceptibility for you and I to do things that are not necessarily our nature. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What belongs to your earthly nature? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He says this, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. What he's saying is, listen, you're a radically new person. On the inside, you've been changed, continually pursuing sexual purity in your heart and in your mind and in your actions. Demonstrate faithfulness in the things that you have, in your possessions. Be patient and graceful and good to those around you. Be kind to them. And and the words that come out of our mouths should be used to build up and edify each other, not to be used in a way that's not good and not healthy and not practical. See, we've been changed on the inside. And Paul says, listen, don't go back there. You've died with Jesus. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. You're radically different. So now what I want you to do is I want you to pursue with your heart spiritual realities. Why do that? I think for Paul, it's because it's practical. It's practical for you and I to pursue spiritual realities. Why? Because when I'm pursuing the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, I'm pursuing what is real and what is enduring and what's going to last forever. When I'm pursuing the things above, it means this. I'm walking in agreement with my new nature and the way that I've been changed on the inside. My life is radically different. And when I'm pursuing the things above, that's where I'm going to find satisfaction and joy and happiness. All of those things are practical ways and reminders of why we should be pursuing the things above. You know what the psalmist said? This is one of my favorite verses, Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire but you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. Isn't that beautiful? And I want to be saying that every day. God, whom have I in heaven but you? I want to be consistently looking up and saying, God, what is it you want from my life? So for Paul, pursuing the things above is, is practical. But there's also a second reason. Because of who Jesus is and where he's at. Jesus is on a throne. He's the king. He is on a throne. When he uses the the phrase, when Paul uses the phrase, seated at the right hand of God, he's reminding of, of, of this, of the exaltation of Jesus and who he is and why we worship him. Because he's called King Jesus. And we should be worshiping in every area of our life. One of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament is Psalm chapter 110, verse 1. And notice what it says. It's a messianic psalm, if you will. It's a messianic promise. God is speaking to the Messiah and knows what it says. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
When they came to Jesus and they asked him, are you the Messiah? He quoted this psalm. Over and over he quoted this this reference in Psalm chapter 110. The Lord said to, to the Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter's preaching, guess what he's preaching? He's preaching a resurrected Jesus. He's preaching a Jesus that is sitting at the right hand of God. Stephen the martyr, the first martyr in the New Testament, when he's being, when he's being beaten, when he's being stoned to death, he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You and I, are to pursue, we're spiritual seekers, we're to pursue these spiritual realities in our heart because that's what Jesus is. That's what he would want us to do. To live heart first, remember who you are, your identity. Be a spiritual seeker of the things above. Number three is this. You're a thinker now. You're not just a seeker, but you're a thinker. Think about spiritual realities. Verse two says, sit your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. So somehow, someway, there's no doubt these people were embracing something that was false. They were believing and thinking that if I do this, if I do this, I can, I can earn favor with God, or I can add my, to my relationship with God, or I can, I can enhance my relationship with Jesus if, if I just do all of these things. In other words, their thinking was being challenged. If, so, so what are we supposed to be thinking about when it says, set your minds on the things above? And I look out and I go, okay, this person's a mom, this person's a dad, this person has a job, this person has a, is a student, this person's in high school and college. You know, we have all of these different areas where we interact with our faith. I mean, imagine if my grandkids came over and, and I was responsible for maybe for babysitting them one day for, for a couple hours. And you know, they come over and you know, I'm just sitting at the table and they are just running around the house and they're just going gunny bags and they are just all over the place and they're getting in all this kind of stuff and I'm just sitting at the table and it's a mess and, they're, and no one's watching them. And, and my wife comes in and, Clint, I love you, but what are you doing? Well, I'm setting my mind on the things above. How would that work? Wouldn't work really well, would it? She'd probably come upside of me and say, Clint, what are you doing? But that's the tension of the world that you and I live in, right? That's the tension that we have. How do I take my faith? How do I take my identity? How do I live it out? How do I be this kind of person? I don't want to separate my life out. I want to to, to live my life in such a way that I'm taking my faith with me no matter where I go. Scripture helps us. Let me just give you a couple practical ways that I think the Bible speaks to this issue of thinking about the right things. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, deals with our profession. It deals with employees and employee relationships. Notice what he says. Slaves, employees, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity and reverence for the Lord. This is in the context of of your profession, of our work relationship. It's it's challenging the way that I view my, my job. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for men. Wow, what a different perspective. My job. I'm actually working for the Lord there. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you are serving. What a different way to, for my mind to view my employment. I'm actually serving the Lord. What about your relationships? What about your relationships with people? How does your faith, your identity in Christ, change your relationship with people? Well, there was a ruler who wanted to know that very question. So he came to Jesus one day and he says, Lord, 
Let's, let's talk about spiritual reality. How do I live? Luke chapter 10 says this, Love the Lord Jesus, verse 9. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But the religious leader wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And you remember what Jesus went on to tell him? Your neighbor's the one that's been laying half dead in the middle of the road. And everyone else is walking away from him. What are you supposed to do? If you're going to love your neighbor, you need to go up and you need to help your neighbor who is in dire circumstances, if you will. And by the way, it may cost you a little bit of money and it may cost you a little bit of time, but what we need to do is if we want to live the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live, then we need to look at our neighbor as someone who needs mercy and help in their time of need. You see how this changes your thinking? Maybe life is difficult for you. and Maybe it's, you know, you're not getting the recognition that you need. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23? The greatest among you shall be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus sees what you're going through. He sees your life. He knows what you're doing. He knows how hard you're working. He knows what's going on in life. God is able to exalt one and take down another. He says the greatest of you will be your servant. What about people in the church that you see come alongside us? What is our responsibility to people in the context of our church? 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? You see, I look at my faith family and I look out at people and I say, maybe I have some things that I have the responsibility to help. See, see how it's changing my thought processes? I'm not compartmentalizing my life. I'm giving myself, allowing the word of God to speak to me so that I can respond in a way that is wonderful and beautiful in a way that God would have me do that because I'm setting my mind and my heart on the things above. Anybody hear the thunder at 2 o'clock in the morning? I did. Sure did. Hear the thunder and rejoice. It is the God who made the powerful storms. And he is the one who holds you by his hand and loves you with an everlasting love. That's the way that God loves you. That's the way that God cares for you. And that's why we are to give ourselves to him and think and ponder these kinds of realities. So we're trying to live heart first, Lord. I want to live heart first. So I'm remembering my identity. I'm setting my heart, my mind on the things above. And the last thing is this. Be confident. Live with confidence. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in our world trying to destroy the foundations of what we stand on. Trust in Jesus, the church, relationships, what it means to be a male, what it means to be a female, what it means, I mean, all of these things. We are being radically bombarded And our kids are hearing it over and over on a daily basis. And because of who we are and what Jesus has done, you and I, we we can live with confidence. I think that's what Paul says. Notice what he says. Goes back to Jesus. Goes back to the death of Jesus. Everything ties into the, the death of Jesus because it reminds us of the resurrection of Jesus to life. He says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What a beautiful phrase. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Past, my past is forgiven. It's taken away with some breakfast with a couple of guys this th- last Thursday morning, and the conversation started going back to all of the, the things that they had done before they were Christians, and I didn't even want to jump in the conversation. Didn't even want to talk about it. They weren't doing it in a disrespectful way, but they were doing it in a way to remind us of how our lives have been changed. I've been forgiven. My past is dealt with. It doesn't matter how bad it is. Christ says, I died for you, and, and I, I, I offer you 
If you will come to me, I will forgive you of all of those things. If you'll just trust me with your, with your past. What about your presence? He says your presence is this. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That is an incredibly powerful verse. My life is now hidden with Christ in God. For who he is and what he's done for us. I don't have to fear And my future is secure, where it says this, one day I will live with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Isn't that beautiful? One day I'm going to appear with Jesus in glory. Past, present, future been taken care of by by who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So how do we live with confidence? I I came with an illustration. Let me just read this illustration by uh, Peter Kreft. And I, I thought it was appropriate for this. And let me just read it to you. Notice what he says. It says, suppose God took you on a crystal ball trip into your future and you saw with indubitable certainty that despite everything, your sin, your smallness, your stupidity, you could be free for the asking, your whole crazy heart's deepest desire, heaven, eternal joy. You've been given this crystal ball and you've been able to see that despite all the things that I've done, I've, I've got this heaven, I've got this eternal joy. He said, would you not return Fearless in singing? What can earth do to you if you're guaranteed heaven? To fear the worst earthly loss would be like a millionaire fearing the loss of a penny, less a scratch on a penny. In other words, you're saying, listen, because of who we are, because of our identity, because of our, our guarantee, past, present, and future, because of Jesus's, my, my confidence, my trust is in him and who he is and what he has done for me. So what I want to do is I want to recognize that I'm safe in Jesus that I'm protected by Jesus, that no one's able to take me out of their hand, that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, that my life is hidden with Christ in the fullness of who he is. And that means it's going to be difficult because some people aren't going to understand you. They're going to look at you and go, wow, you're weird, you're odd, you're different. Yeah, because of my identity and because of who I am, because of my values, it runs contrary to the earthly things in life, and you're going to buck up and people are not going to embrace that. And and what are you going to go back to? Are you going to hang on to your identity? Are we going to hang on to who we are in Jesus? Are we going to continue to strike and fight for the truth of who God is and what he would have for us? It means I've been radically changed on the inside. My identity is in Jesus, and I'm safe in him in the midst of all the chaos going on. Apostle Paul, the beloved who, who, who fell back on Jesus in love, and he wrote these words in 1 John chapter 3. Dear friends, Now we're children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Are you looking forward to that day? Being like Jesus? Being with him in the midst of the chaos and the frustrations of the day? I want to end with an illustration. I thought it was kind of interesting. It kind of gets us back to the beginning. But I think what it does, it speaks to the longing of the human heart. In 19... 77, NASA launched Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 to explore the galaxy. We're seeing a lot of that nowadays. A golden record called the Sounds of Earth was affixed to each of the twin spacecrafts. And it was a message from Earth to anyone out there in the universe who might be listening. It contained both music and the sound of a human heartbeat. Okay, so here you have people shooting rockets up there. And what do they do? They're portraying something else is out there. These aren't Christians. Over 30 years later, Annie Drunyan, who served as the creative director of NASA's famous 
Voyager Interstellar Message Project reflected on what she chose to include in the sounds of Earth. And this is what she said. The first thing I found myself thinking of was a piece by Beethoven from Opus 130 called The Cavatina Movement. When I first heard this piece of music, I thought, Beethoven, how can I ever repay you? What can I ever do for you that would be commensurate with what you've given me? And so as soon as my colleague said this message is going to go up and last a, a thousand million years, I thought of this great, beautiful, sad piece of music on which Beethoven had written in the margin. It's a German word, and I don't know how to say it. Sunschluck, which is German for longing. A German for longing. Part of what we wanted to capture in the Voyager message was this great longing that we feel. So in the end, NASA chose a great song of human longing and launched it into space as if NASA's scientists were saying to the rest of the universe, "There is who this is who and what we are as human being, creatures of longing. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that true? Don't you find that within? We're, we're longing for something. We're, we're longing for love, maybe from a relationship. Or we're longing for affirmation for our job. Or we're longing to be good at this. Or we're longing for the good at that. And what Christ says, listen, I'm the ultimate. Find your identity in Jesus. And when I align myself with the ultimate of who Jesus is, guess what? all of those things begin to come into place. Not necessarily the way that we think they will, but they all begin to fall into place because he is the ultimate. And I'm going to set my mind and my things up, uh, heart on things above. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great how, how the Bible makes sense in life? Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, it's delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, right? Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give the desires of your heart. Colossians is a beautiful book that talks us and reminds us about looking up. Man, and whatever you're going through in life, continue to look up. Trust Jesus for what's going on in your life, that he's the very anchor for your soul, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he created you just the way that he wanted you to be and your identity is in him and who he is. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you for Jesus, that our lives are hidden in who he is and what he's done for us. Father, we have this wonderful, beautiful Savior who came to earth and he just walked upon this earth and he did good and he healed people. And he spoke words of truth. And he just said simply, will you trust me with your life? And Father, I pray that we would continue to set our minds and hearts on the things above because of who you are and what Jesus has done. Father, I pray that uh, you would encourage all of us today. Lord, I don't know what someone might be going through this morning. Maybe there's a struggle. Maybe there's a challenge. Father, I ask that you would allow us just to seek your face today. And our minds would be challenged and our hearts would be challenged to seek you and to pursue you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.